This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I got an amazing product for my kings and queens who love some cannabis. I enjoy the occasional joint once in a while. And if you want to maintain the flower that you're buying, this is the product for you. Integra Specialty Products brings you plant-based solutions for top-tier cannabis storage and packaging with two-way humidity control packs. Ensure the freshness, potency, and quality of your cannabis with Boost plant-based solutions that only puts in pure water vapor into your dried-out buds. It's ideal for flower, pre-rolls, and edibles. They offer a harmonious balance of convenience and freshness. For more information, check them out at www.integra.com boost.com or at Integra Herbal on Instagram. Use code LOWLIFE at checkout for 15% off your next purchase online at www.integraboost.com. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Hola, bienvenidos mis amigos, buongiorno, welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your flaming hot and spicy, seasonally depressed, white wine drinking, Montana mountain hiking, hot mess of a host, Lorenzo Von Rumpf. I'm so happy to be here with you today. There is no place I'd rather be than with my lowlifers. I hope you're having a beautiful day, a great summer so far, but if you're feeling a bit stressed, if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, anxious, you're just not having a good week, don't you worry, boo-boo. Don't you fret. You have come to the right place. We're about to turn that frown upside down. we got a great episode in store for you today. I'm very excited about this guest. Such a good episode. Before we get into it, though, let's talk about mental health. Nobody asked, <laughs> but my mental health score... This week is a solid 8.5 out of 10. I'm feeling really good. I celebrated my birthday, June 30th. My actual birthday, June 30th, was not a great day for me. I just got a little bit depressed. I was in my head. I had to work a full day. I was feeling stressed out, which is not the way you want to bring in a birthday. But the next day made up for it tenfold. It was such a beautiful day, which was Saturday for me. I got to celebrate my birthday with a new little puppy, a little pug. He is the cutest little pup. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with him. It's disgusting how much I love this dog. I can't handle it. And he has the sweetest temperament. I was trying to keep it together when I got him. My parents ended up surprising me with a pug. So I knew I was getting him, but I hadn't met him yet. And I finally got to meet him on Saturday of last week and I fell apart. I just lost it. Oh, he is just the sweetest little thing. And I got so emotional because he reminds me so much of little Dookie. They look very similar as well. And they have a very similar temperament. So when I held this little pug, which I just named Shamu, little Shamu, I was going between a couple names. I love the name Diego. Also love the name Amigo and then Shamu. And then the top two were Amigo and Shamu. And then I had everybody vote on Instagram. Had you guys vote here on the podcast and 
overwhelmingly, the winner was little Shamu. People love the name Shamu, and so do I. And he's really living up to the name. He is a little killer whale. (laughs) He is a little freaking orca, which is my favorite animal outside of pugs. I'm obsessed with whales, specifically orcas. All whales really do it for me. But orcas, oh, I've been obsessed with them since I was a little kid. I loved going to SeaWorld. Controversial but brave statement. Loved going as a kid. Wouldn't go there now. F*** that place. But as a kid, getting to see orcas, I was that kid that got chosen from the audience that got to go up and give Shamu a fish. And it changed my life forever. (laughs) I was obsessed from that day on. And I was like six years old. Little Shamu is living up to his orca name, though, because he is in the teething stage right now as a puppy and is biting everything. And his teeth are sharp. His little razor sharp teeth. I was like, He's buying everything right now. And so I'm puppy proofing the house and I'm realizing, oh my God, I haven't had a puppy in the house in so long. I kind of forgot what to do. So I'm reading up on how to train him properly. And so he can go to the bathroom, get potty trained and, and getting his meal schedule down. And it's a lot of work. If you have any tips on how to train this little puppy, because Crate training is controversial. Some people say it's the worst thing you could do. Don't crate train. Other people have told me it was the best thing for their dog, and they highly recommend it. I've had a veterinarian tell me to never do it, and I've also had another vet that said, yes, absolutely, it's okay for you to do that for dogs. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't crate train little Dookie when I had him, but that was also 14 years ago, and he was on the run with me when I had him. I was like 18 years old when I got him. He was going with me to all my graduation parties and he kind of just figured out how to pee eventually on a little pee pad. But it took a while. I remember that. But I didn't go through the proper stages of training him at that age because I didn't really know what I was doing. And then eventually I ended up just getting a trainer to go in and really help me out. And so now with little Shamu, I want to right my wrongs and I want to make sure that he's trained and knows where to go to the bathroom and has a good little schedule. I know routine is a big thing for dogs, especially puppies. And so keeping him on a good routine, a set schedule, I know that will be really helpful for him. And so anyway, I've been so busy with that. My little puppy also working my ass off on the styling side. And I completely forgot that I had a trip to Montana planned. And this was months ago for one of my best girlfriends, Haley Arantia, a friend of the show. She's been on a few times. She's an actress from the Goldbergs, and she became a client of mine, and then we became very close friends. And so she's done a few episodes of the podcast, but her and I are thick as thieves. We're both only children. We bonded over that. She lives all of six minutes away from me, so I see her all the time. And she had her bachelorette party in Montana, in Whitefish, Montana. I'd never been. I've been to Montana before. But I'd never been to Whitefish, Montana, which is very different than the Montana I experienced. I went to Billings, Montana. Not that cute. Wasn't my favorite place to be. But Whitefish, total game changer. I love the city of Whitefish, Montana. Shout out to anybody from that state, from that specific town. It is a very small town. This bachelorette trip was planned like six months ago. Haley's not getting married till October, but she wanted to have her bachelorette party in the summer because more people are off. They're not so busy. People are taking vacations anyway. And so it kind of worked out perfectly for everybody else. But now that I have little Shamu, it was really hard for me to leave him. I was bummed because I only got literally three days with him. And then I had to take off for this trip for five days. And so... I was sad to leave him. I left him with his grandma and grandpa, my parents. (laughs) So they were taking good care of Shamu while I was gone. And I was living it up in Montana. 
I had bought my plane ticket last minute because I forgot the trip was happening. And Haley reminded me. She's like, you're still coming, right? I was like, oh, shit. I need to get my plane ticket. So I got that. But I didn't really give the trip too much thought. I packed some outfits for it. But it was a very planned out situation for everybody else. And she had the maid of honor. And she also has a matron of honor. And they were very hands-on with an itinerary and a schedule. And they were updating us in a group text. And there's this bachelorette app that everybody could put their information in. Oh, it was so organized down to like, what are we going to wear each day? What activities are we going to do? I've been in bachelorette parties before and bachelor parties. I have to say this hands down was the best one I've ever been part of. Also the most organized. And that's very surprising that it was such a beautiful trip. Such a good time because the odds were stacked against us. Everybody that showed up in Montana, it was nine of us, Haley included. Uh, none of them knew each other outside of Haley being the common denominator. Nobody was friends. I have met a couple of the girls like briefly at one of Haley's birthdays, you know, in previous years, but I wasn't close to them. I didn't know them outside of like that one dinner. And so everybody walked into this like nine perfect strangers. <laughs> and so that could either be the recipe for success or it could go down in flames because you have nine very different personalities and nobody knows each other. Let's see how this is going to go down. Everybody got along great. It was a very positive environment. Oh, I had the best time. I can't wait to go back to Montana. I was thinking of doing an episode all on bachelor and bachelorette parties and recap the situation that I just had because it was a very interesting one with us all being strangers. I would love to hear from you about your bachelor or bachelorette parties that you've been to. The good stories, the bad stories, horror stories. I know there have been some doozies out there. I know that bachelorette parties could either be incredible or people are like, what the hell are we doing? This is the worst. And so I would love for you to share your bachelorette parties. I want to know where did you go on a bachelorette party? Was it a good time? And how did you guys work out like the whole paying for everything? That's what I'm curious about. I want to hear about it. So that's the question of the week. Tell me about your bachelor or bachelorette parties that you've been part of. Are you the planner? Were you just along for the ride? Who were you in the group? What was it like? Because I'm going to be doing an episode recapping my situation, my bachelorette party weekend with Haley, my bachelorette, like it's my wedding. <laughs> I want to do a recap because I found the whole dynamic and everything that went into this a lot of work, also very interesting. And I was like, I got to do a deep dive on this. At this particular bachelorette party that I was part of, it was a full five days with eight girls who I didn't know. I was the only guy, which I was like, is this going to be okay? Like, is there going to be someone that is super religious and is all about like gay conversion or something? You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck to expect. But again, it ended up being great. And these were all very kind, loving, strong women. They're moms. They're career-oriented. They're just really good humans. And so we had a blast. Which brings me to this week's guest. Speaking of strong women who are cool to be around, this week I am talking to Kara Lowenthal. Let me tell you a little bit about Kara. I've been wanting her on the podcast for a while. She's a very successful podcast host herself. She has a podcast called Unfuck Your Brain. She's also a motivational speaker. She does public speaking engagements, and she is a life coach. Kara Lowenthal untangles the reasons why we make ourselves so miserable, and she shares very useful tips that can help us turn it around. She's here to help us. She is an educated queen. She got her BA from Yale, and then she went on to get her doctorate from Harvard Law School. Casual. After graduating from law school, she was on the law professor track, and then she ended up pivoting to become a master certified life coach. 
She's intelligent. She's witty. She's a New Yorker, so she's a straight shooter. We love that. It's not a fluff piece. I love someone who could just tell it like it is because that's my style as well. What I love about Kara, the way that she gives advice, the way that she approaches life coaching is not just someone who is just constantly giving you like these one-liners of motivation, which sometimes feel a little unrealistic. Like I've heard motivational coaches and when I listen to them, I end up feeling worse about myself because <laughs> it's like almost toxic positivity or they're like, don't waste your time on TV. You shouldn't be, you know, brain draining on social media. You know, that's going to end up making you depressed. And yes, there's validity to that, but I also enjoy watching Netflix sometimes. And I do like the occasional scroll on TikTok and Instagram, and I don't want to feel guilty about it. And so Cara doesn't make you feel guilty about normal life shit that we all do. And what I like is her advice that she gives. Everything that she says, it's truly rooted in cognitive psychology and feminism. So it's a very cool approach that she has. I like that psychology approach because it makes us dig a little bit deeper to get to the root of what the hell is really going on with us. This episode is going to be a game changer for you. It'll be very helpful if you're someone who struggles with people pleasing. That's something that I've had to overcome. I still go through it. It's very hard to tell people no, but there is power in saying no, and we dive into that today. If you are a people pleaser, this episode will be very beneficial to you. You're going to get a lot from this one. I learned so much from her. We also talk about the difference between loving lightly and loving someone hard. Didn't understand that. She broke it down, and I loved her take on loving lightly versus loving hard. And of course, we had to get into self-talk, negative self-talk, being so critical of ourselves, being critical of others. We all do it. We could be our own worst enemy. I know, just speaking from my own experience, that I tear myself down at times. And some of the shit I tell myself, I would never, ever utter to even my worst enemy. Like, I would never say those things, but I'm okay saying it to myself. And so I've had to really put in some work to try and break that negative pattern of self-talk because if you tell yourself something enough over and over, you will eventually start to believe it. And so that's where the positive self-talk really is a game changer. And we're going to talk about why and how you can do that and break some patterns so you can give yourself a fighting chance at this roller coaster of life that we're all on together. Kara explains why positive self-talk could be great for you, but also toxic. There's a way to do it. There's a way to actually have positive self-talk that doesn't end up doing more harm than good. We're talking about toxic positivity and how unrealistic it could be sometimes to be overly positive. It will end up hindering you rather than helping you. This is a great conversation. I'm so happy you were here for this one. You were here for a reason, my kings and queens. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode with Kara Lowenthal. Hit it. Hello, Queen. How are you doing today? I'd love to get a little rating of your mental health. That's what we like to start off with here at the podcast. How's your mental health this week? Scale of one to 10. Interesting question. I mean, I think my mental health is at a good eight or nine. My summer is a little crazy and it turns out that trying to write an entire book yourself while also running your business and doing everything you are already doing is a little bit of a lot. So I'm home for all of eight days in July and I feel a little overwhelmed, but the fundamental mental health is strong. Yes. There's the bedrock. The bedrock is good. Today is a little up and down, but like we're on a firm foundation. 
The foundation is strong. Yeah, the bones are good. Thank God. Okay. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty damn good too right now. And I'm excited to be in this moment with you because as I'm approaching a new year of life, I start to reflect, <laughs> starting to reflect on loss, wins, mm -hmm. people in my life, the important people, the, sh the people who are pillars of strength, and then just myself. And I can be very hard on myself. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think we all can. And so that's why I was very excited to talk to you because I was like, I need this. So does my listeners. <laughs> and to have the ability to talk to someone like you who is a life coach. And what fascinates me about you is you are an educated queen. Baby loves her books. Well read. <laughs> and, and you put yourself through school. And it's, I mean, you went to Harvard Law School. I did. Graduated from Harvard Law. And then you were, did you want to become a lawyer? That was the whole point. Yeah, I was a practicing. I clerked for a federal appeals court judge. And then I was a reproductive rights litigator for a few years. And then I went into academia. Okay. So I did practice briefly. So you ended up leaving the world of academia. Mm-hmm. And then went into life coaching. Yeah, as one does. Just normal career progression. <laughs> giving your parents, your Jewish parents, a bit of a heart attack. Yeah, they <laughs> survived. They survived, but it was a close call. <laughs> yeah, when was this big change? And what brought that catalyst for change for you? I mean, I think that I was, I don't really love the word seeker because it makes it sound like you're like going to meditation retreats and looking for a guru, which is kind of not my vibe. But I do think I've always, like, if you look at the senior page of my high school yearbook, I was, you know, talking about the same things and asking the same questions that I've been, that I talk about now and ask now, like, what is the good life? How do we kind of live our life with intention and purpose? Like, how do we decide what we're doing here? How do we have an impact? And so I had been kind of pursuing those questions all along. So it wasn't, I mean, it was a big 180 in terms of what am I doing for my career? And like, what yeah, is my well, public Financially, you were persona. pretty set too, I would assume. Like you're making good money. Yeah. Although, I mean, being an entrepreneur has been much more lucrative, but there was no, yeah. there was no promise that was going to happen, obviously, like of when course. I left. But it really was more that I think as I started, when I, I had gone through a lot of different things like yoga and meditation and therapy and da, 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 and when I really found the kind of coaching that I do now, it was so powerful. I felt like I was making a difference in my kind of policy legal career, but it didn't feel like I had a specific genius for that. It was like anybody with a equally good brain and education could do the job the way I'm doing it. They might have slightly different ideas than I would, but I didn't feel like without me, we're not going to have the brilliant legal theory that's going to change reproductive rights. Like that just wasn't how my brain worked. But I felt when I started learning about coaching and combining that with the sort of more feminist perspective I had, I felt like I don't feel like anybody's talking about this. Like this is actually something new and novel I can contribute. So that was really what kind of was behind the change. I had no experience as an entrepreneur. There's no indication I would be at all good at making money or building a business. So it really was not about that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Has it ever I been for you? I thought I was going to have like a little practice, a little therapy practice. You know, I was going to have yeah. a little coaching practice with sure. like 10 clients. And like, you know, Cute. I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. And then it and then it became what it is today. And you're writing yeah. books and hundreds, thousands of women have been affected by you. You've helped a lot of people. You're doing great things. Has it ever been a money motivating thing for you? Have you ever been on the financial side of like, mm, I'm doing this for the for the dinero? No, <laughs> I mean, listen, I, you know, I like nice things and I think there's no purity under conditions of capitalism. So I'm not adverse to, you know, I did a lot of work on my money mindset to like learn how to believe I could create money because I was socialized the way 
a lot of people, but especially women are socialized, which is someone else determines how much money you can have. You just have to be a good girl and keep your head down. And like somebody else, probably a man is going to decide what you're worth and pay you a salary. And maybe if you're like really good for a long time and you ask nicely, they might give you a little more one day. Like I'm going to throw up. I hate all okay. that. <laughs> but that's like how women are socialized, especially if you go through something like law, which is very, <laughs> you know, hierarchical and like you go to the law firm and then you're like, you got to go through the process. So especially for like kind of type A professionally achieving women, that's what it's like. And so I had to do a lot of different thought work to believe I could create money. But for me, that's always secondary. I mean, I'm, you know, I could take my brain and make more money than I make as an entrepreneur, I'm sure doing, I don't know, founding a hedge fund or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm really mission oriented. I've been a professional feminist one way or another my whole life. When I think back, I was uh, researching and I was talking to my mom about this and she's like, at one point, you would know the exact year, somewhere in the 70s where you needed a man to yeah. actually sign for a credit card. Women couldn't get credit cards. 1974, the Equal Credit Protection Act, I think it's called, was the first time that in all 50 states, a woman could get a credit card without a male guarantor. Like my mother was a lie, you know, I mean, it was not yeah. that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. But so it's, but it's so important. Like we don't know this history, most of us. And so women are socialized to believe that they're irresponsible with money and they can't understand it. And they're not good at math and they're not good at finances. And when you look at the media, what the articles directed towards men are about learning to invest and learning to take risk and like build your wealth and legacy. And the articles that are oriented at women are like how to budget and save and don't get that vanilla latte, like save up for a house, you know? They're, <laughs> yeah. And like, but women don't know this history. Until very recently, you literally needed male approval to survive. You couldn't financially support yourself most for most of Western history if you were a woman. So there's so much backstory and history to this, but especially in America, we have so much time blindness. We're just like, well, now everybody can get a credit card, so everything's fine. And it's we're just good. a coincidence that all these women don't trust themselves on finances, don't think they're good at money, even though the studies show things like women are actually better investors than men in the aggregate. They get better returns. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we don't know these things. Oh, I love that. This goes into the whole idea of people-pleasing. And I really want to dive into people-pleasing with you. You talk about it a lot on your podcast, which yeah. is great. Also on social media, great platform. And you're using it to actually spread amazing awareness on things like what you're talking about with, you know, women and the ability for them to even have a credit card and and this mindset of, of again, mm -hmm. it goes down to people pleasing a lot of the times. Men do it. Women do it a lot more because they're socialized in a way right. for that mindset. And so I want to talk to you about it because I don't know if that's something you have struggled with, but I know a lot of people, including myself, that's some big point of contention within myself is always feeling the need to people please. And I was I was reading up on this and and I love this. When you're transitioning from being a people pleaser to someone with more boundaries, mm -hmm. I've been doing that. And it's weird. It feels weird for me <laughs> to do it. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. like it. But it's hard to tell if I'm just being mean. Am I being an asshole? Or if mm. I'm just listening to my own feelings because I've just been so used to helping others. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I almost feel bad for it. Or I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, I think that's really normal. Yeah. And so I know... A lot of people deal with that. So I want to dive into it with you because I know there are some ways to overcome that. And I know it's a, it's a mentality shift. And there were so many directions I wanted to go on the show with you. I could talk about investing or savings or, you know, building your career of your dreams or building an empire or, you know, becoming that entrepreneur. And all those things are fucking incredible. I would love to dive into those things with you on another episode. If this one goes great with you, we'll probably have you back. Hopefully you'd like to. But I was like, we can't do shit 
if we don't start with what's happening in between our ears, with the mind. And a lot of everything you talk about in your podcast, I mean, it goes down to that. Mm-hmm. Like I've had moments where I detail my place, I clean my room, you know, I make sure my living, everything's tidied and I, I do a full just cleanse and my life looks beautiful. And then within a week or two, I'm like, how does it look like a shit show again? What happened? Or not mm-hmm. keeping up on a diet or, or whatever it could be, jeopardizing myself in certain ways. And so it doesn't matter if I want to start a business or follow my dreams or whatever. We got to start with home base. That's what I'm getting at. Long-winded. We got to start with what's between the ears. And so help me. So let's talk about people pleasing, because I think that part of the thing that's so twisted in our brains about this is that people will say that they're people pleasers and they pretend that they think it's a bad thing, but like really deep down, they think it means that they're just like such a nice, empathetic person, right? That's what we're sort of taught, I think. So there's this little bit of pride almost that I'm a people pleaser. This is another place where I think the historical context really matters. So the first level is like people pleasing can obviously come from a variety of sources, right? So it's not like only women people please, even though they're socialized that way, right? No, I, I do it. Of course, totally, right. So it can have a lot, you know, it can have a lot to do with your family of origin and how you were taught in your family to behave if you had a volatile parent, you know, there's like a lot of different places it can come from. I think that there's a specific next layer of it for women, which is that women are basically taught that their value comes from what they do for other people and making other people happy. And some men are taught that too, like again, depending on your family, your religion, whatever. But in a kind of like broad, big picture social way, generally men aren't kind of as required to justify their existence by being helpful and of service to other people which is why you see women in traditional gender dynamics doing all the cooking and all the cleaning and all the whatever while the men are like watching football on Thanksgiving with each other, right? There's just a different socialization about who is supposed to be serving whom. And so when if you are taught that your value comes from what you do for other people and making other people happy, that's just a recipe for people-pleasing, right? Because you don't have a sense of internal value. You're not grounded in your own worth just for existing. So you're constantly trying to hustle to prove that you're good enough, which is why I think what you're describing with like, you start having boundaries, you start saying no, and then you get caught in this endless debate with yourself that you can't ever solve of, is this one justified? Is that one justified? Am I being rude? Am I being mean? Am I being selfish? I just don't think those are useful questions because they're all subjective, right? Somebody else may think like, yes, it was very rude that you didn't want to move my car three blocks when it was out of gas with all, like by pushing it, like that was very rude. And you might think, you know, there's no objective answer. So it's not helpful to kind of spin that way. What I really recommend instead is you ask yourself a question, for instance, like, if I thought I was worthy, no matter what, would I want to do this thing? Mm. Right? If or I thought if I, I was worthy, no matter what, would I still yes, want to do this? Would thing? I still want to do this thing? Right? Or if I was going to love myself no matter what, or if this person was going to love me, whether I did it or not, would I do it, right? It just helps clarify what your actual motivation is. And people think that if they stop people pleasing, they'll like never do anything nice for anyone again and become a sociopath because we're so used to acting (laughs) out of obligation. Like this is what happens when I teach this. It's like I teach women to, you know, think positively about themselves. And their first question is like, well, that's going to make me an arrogant narcissist. And I'm like, calm down. You're all the way over here, you know, <laughs> thinking that you're the worst piece of so shit that ever extreme. lived. Like we got a ways to go before we need to worry about that. <laughs> and the same thing with people pleasing. It's like people automatically go to like, well, if I don't do things because I feel guilty or bad, 
society will collapse. And I'm like, I I don't think that it will. I think that we actually, when we believe that we have inherent worth and value, I do think humans naturally want to collaborate, support each other. You want to do things for people you love. We are a creative collaborative species. That's how we created civilization and survived. So it all is why I always say like self-help is actually about the biggest questions in the world. It's like, what is human nature? If we are not operating from guilt and shame and peer pressure, do we become just animals only out for ourselves? Like, do we have to have all of this <laughs> yeah. guilt and shame Doggy to keep us in dog. line? Right. Or are we actually naturally collaborative, creative, community oriented, but we just have to learn how would we actually want to express that? For me, I will listen to your, like for the people I love, I'm like, you can call me anytime. I will listen to you talk about your feelings for three hours. I will give you advice. I will totally show up in that way. If you have a baby, I will fly to California and make you a brisket. Please don't ever (laughs) ask me to help you move. I don't want to help you move. I don't want to show up that way. I hate doing that. I find it draining. I don't like physical labor, whatever. Because I've done that work, I'm able to tell the difference between like, how do I want to give and support and show up? What can I offer freely? And what do I just not want to offer? Yeah. And being very transparent about that. Yeah. You lay it on the table. And you'll still have friends. My friends all know. They would never call me. My partner, the opposite. You could totally call my partner and be like, hey, I got to move all my stuff and I got pizza and beer. And he'd be like, yes, I'd love to. He's like a very physical acts of service person. I'm not. When you have your own back, you can offer what you want to offer and say no when you want to say no. And people will still love you and your people will find you and they'll just, it'll all be clearer. Setting up boundaries. Yeah, but I think it's like we focus so much on boundaries and then we feel like we're withholding. But when you say no, when you want to say no, you can also say yes wholeheartedly instead of all your yeses being like resentful and all your no's being anxious. You drop these little lines in passing. Listen, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you say no to something, you can say yes wholeheartedly. Right. And that's always happening. Like, this is part of the problem, especially women are socialized to say yes to everything. And we don't think about how we're actually saying no to other. Every time you say yes, you're saying no to whatever else you could have done with that time. I love that. Right. We don't have infinite time and vice versa. So if you can be more intentional about it and not be judging the shit out of yourself all the time, you will actually be using that time the way that matters most to you. And also where you're the most helpful. I think we're drawn to the places we are the most. I'm not the most helpful for moving things. I am very helpful at emotions. From even a utilitarian perspective, it's better if I do the emotion helping and my partner does the moving helping. It doesn't make sense. I'm not even good at that when I try to. What about in a work environment where you have your subordinate and you got a boss who's asking you to do things? And I feel like in that situation, it's even more difficult to have any form of a healthy boundary for yourself because, well, can you even really say no? I mean, Mm. it's really it's really tough to navigate that one. Yeah, I think that's a little different. I don't think saying yes if your boss tells you need to do something is people pleasing, right? You're being paid to do a thing. Uh, Um, No, but like (laughs) out of the, (laughs) it's doing your job. There's like, yeah, just I feel like if my my employees were always like, um, my strength isn't in doing. You know, I don't know if my employee was like, hey, I think this part of my role is really not my strength. I'd be open to hearing that. Yeah. So if your boss is asking you to do something, obviously it's not people pleasing to say yes to that. But there's obviously an issue where people do sort of veer into people pleasing in the office in the sense of they like say yes to things that maybe are really not in their job description or really very far from that. Or they take on, especially for women, there can be a lot of pressure to take on sort of unpaid administrative or even like emotional labor in the office, kind of like, okay, well, somebody's got to be on the committee for all the birthdays. And like, of course, it's going to be you, right? So there's people, you know, are in positions where they take on that kind of thing. 
And I think, again, though, it comes down to rather than doing it out of obligation or anxiety or guilt, which always feels bad no matter what, again, it's like you get to make a clear decision. Yes, I'm going to say yes to this extra thing that I don't even really want to do because I think it's a good move for my career and I'm choosing that on purpose and that's what I want to do. Or I'm going to say no and I'm going to like see what happens. I'm willing to take that hit. Or I don't want to work in a place where they ask me to do this thing. I'm going to look for another job. It's still taking it from a place of empowerment of I'm going to assess the situation and make a decision rather than, well, I have to, but I don't want to, but I have to, but I don't want to. When we're in that, whether it's our mom or our boss, like asking us to do something, that back and forth of like, I don't want to, but I have to, makes us feel very trapped. And when humans get trapped, feel trapped, they get very sulky and traumatic. <laughs> and they get very unhappy and you just don't get any good results out of that. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little bit more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. I'm excited to have Nutrafol as a sponsor because I use it. I love it. I'm a big fan of this company. I've noticed a big difference in my skin, nails, hair. Even my sleep has improved since I started taking this. Now I have the queen taking it too, and it has been a game changer for her hair. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. I love me a good edible moment. I talk about it all the time on this show. And so I was so excited that Via became a sponsor of the Low Life Podcast. Oh, this is a dream partnership because I love their edibles. They're so delicious. And they're coming on right in time for Valentine's Day. Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. We're talking about pairing aphrodisiac herbs with a mild amount of THC. Their best-selling High Love gummy will awaken your senses, increases the blood flow, and intensifies any sexual experience, even if it's a solo experience. It's going to be amazing with this gummy. The strawberry-flavored one is my favorite. They're vegan. Organic ingredients are used. They have zero THC products as well. So if you're not down for THC, that's okay, boo. Their CBD line is amazing too, which is really great for sleep, focus, and energy. Their products range from 2 milligrams to 50 milligrams of THC, so there's definitely something for everybody. My favorite part about this sponsor is that they ship to all 50 states legally with discreet packaging directly to your door. It makes it so easy breezy for you. No medical card required. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code LOWLIFE to receive 15% off plus one free sample of their Sleepy Dreams gummies, 21 and over. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com and use code LOWLIFE at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. So I'm trying to get better at saying no. And I love when you say no to someone or something that you don't want to do. What you said is you're saying yes to yourself, giving yourself a win. And mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that. And I've been trying to practice it. It's easier said than done. Saying no is one thing, but now not explaining it. 
You don't have to mm. explain. And I'm such an explainer. Mm-hmm. That comes from a, having a very critical household at times. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. When you're explaining, you're trying to control what the other person thinks of you. Yeah. Right. You're like, well, I want them to agree with me that it's okay for me to say no. And what is incredibly freeing is just letting other people not agree with you, which you, again, like it requires you to have your own back. But I use this example quite a bit, but I, for me, it's the perfect example is I'm not somebody who ever wanted to have kids. I know ironically, I'm partnered with somebody who has children. So now I'm getting the parenting experience anyway, but I chose not to have my own children on purpose. And my family really wanted me to have children. And for a long time, I had a lot of drama about that, right? I like wanted them to respect my choice or agree with me or not have, I didn't want them to have a different feeling about it, right? I wanted to like be able to control their brains. I wanted them to agree with me and I wanted them to not be upset about it. And that was so painful for me. I mean, it's like painful for them anyway, but that's their thing. But it's painful for me to constantly be creating this experience of being rejected because I wanted them to think and feel a different way. And so when I found this coaching work, one of the things I worked on was just allowing them to have a different opinion about it. Just being like, of course, my parents want me to have children. They liked having children. They felt it was a big, important part of their lives. Everybody, you know, wants people to do the things they found valuable. That's part of how we maintain, you know, our ego, not in a bad way, just like our sense of self and that we made the right decisions. And of course, we're like invested in what we think is valuable. And so if somebody, especially someone we've raised, rejects something like that, you know, I could intellectually understand that, but emotionally just being like, oh, I could actually just decide that they're allowed to have a different feeling about this than I am. And that was so freeing. That's true in any area of your life. Even if it's like a big thing like that, it's okay. There's a perfectionist thing going on there where it's like, we don't think that a relationship can withstand any disappointment or any upset or any little rupture, right? As opposed to being like, oh, what if this person's my friend and they are disappointed that I don't want to do that thing and they feel a little sad about it for a minute and that's okay. We can still be friends. I can still show up for them another time, right? Absolutely. When we like have so much trouble saying no and we want to control what the other person is thinking, it's because we're so, like you said, so self-critical ourselves. We just don't think anybody will ever love or accept us if they're not pleased with us at all times and we're not doing the right thing at all times. Yeah, especially with you know our partners, our close friends, and yeah. our parents. Oh my gosh. And that whole idea of your parents want you to have kids, you're choosing not to, navigating that. How long did it take for you to get to that point of like, you know what, I'm going to sit with this and I'll be okay. And are you guys in a good space now? Because you also can't control the, I don't know if they make passive aggressive comments or Mm. kind of bring it up in a way. And it's almost like picking at something that's emotionally vulnerable for you. But that's a place you can have a boundary. So my parents don't. And also now they ended up getting bonus stepkids anyway. (laughs) But no, like I I would say like weight is a better example there. I did a lot of work on, okay, my parents are going to have their thoughts about my weight and my size. And I'm going to stop trying to control that or wishing it were different, but I am going to have a boundary that's like, I'm not open to discuss this with you. If you bring it up, I'm going to hang up the phone or I'm going to end the interaction or whatever. So one of the reasons people don't want to relinquish the ability to emotionally control well, it's not an ability. You can't emotionally control other people, but they don't want to like let go of the fantasy that they can or the resistance is that we think, well, if I'm okay with them thinking this way, then I have to let them do whatever, right? I have to let, like, them let say my what they mother want. talk to me every day about how I should have children. Those are two <laughs> totally different things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What kind of relationship and behavior you're available to show up with and share can be very different than whether you are emotionally resisting it. Those are two different things. Ironically, when you're in a lot of emotional resistance, you actually can't set a boundary cleanly because you're still trying to convince the other person that they should think a different way and being mad at them for having the thoughts they have. 
you're all a mess, right? When you are able to be like, oh, you're actually allowed. You have human autonomy. We all want human autonomy for ourselves. Then we think other people should maybe have less. Like when we are, you're allowed to have full autonomy. You are allowed to believe that my life would be better if I had children and that I'm mistaken and wrong. You're allowed to believe that. When I give them that autonomy mentally, it's much easier to be like, and here's the amount I'm willing to let you share that belief with me or like here's, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, it's I love that. It's much clearer as yes. opposed to being like, you shouldn't think that. And then I'm like fighting that. And then I'm, you know, there's all this drama and then I can't actually make a clear boundary at all. Yeah. And I mean, now you and your parents, I mean, they got the bonus kids from your boo, but- Yeah, but uh, they had stopped. It was fine. I mean, I yeah. talk about my poor parents. I talk about this in the podcast all the time. So like, I use this example, yeah. but- yeah, it just took all of the tension out of it, you know? It was like, yeah. then I could just, I could let my mom be sad about it and actually even have compassion for that and not take it personally and not try to control her. And yeah, of course, that improves your relationship with the person. It's almost kind of like a lot of people have the experience of having to come out of the closet. I hate that mm -hmm. term. Hate. I'm like, there should be no closet. But right. okay, we're dealing with that shit still. Yeah. 2023, hopefully we'll burn it down eventually, the new generation. <laughs> But even with that, my parents were okay. They're cool with it. But I have friends that have experienced something completely mm. different where they're you know, cut from their parents or they feel right. a lot of animosity, a lot of points of contention with that because they just don't agree with that lifestyle, if you will. Right. I, God, I, I hate it as it's coming out. I hate the no, way that I know what you mean. It's like the parent thinks that it is a lifestyle or choice. Right. And the sure. you know, kid, of course, knows that it's not. Yes, of course. And so with that, but I even thought to myself, you know, I was talking to a friend about this and he had something, I, I felt like it was very profound. He was like, I'm going to let them grieve the death of that heterosexual straight son that they so badly wanted. Right. And then hopefully rise from the ashes, this incredible gay son that they can accept and love and he can still have children and a life and a marriage and everything that right. they want for their kid. But again, he he sat in the pocket with it and was okay with it. They have every right to feel the way they feel. If it's been ingrained in them, they're, you know, very devout right. Christian. It is biblical for them. And this is a big, this is throwing a grenade in their, you know, thought process of what they wanted for their kid. And so what you're, to your point, yeah, sometimes you got to just sit with it. It's okay. It has a little bit of sting. I think none of us want to be uncomfortable though, myself included. Yeah. And it's not a should. I'm not here saying you need to allow, everybody gets to decide how they want to deal yeah. with their family and those conflicts. But for me, I would much prefer when I'm in a lot of emotional resistance to something that I'm just spending a lot of my time thinking about this thing that I can't change, which is someone else's thoughts, yeah. right? That's like a drain on my time. It's a drain on my emotional energy. It ruins that relationship, which I'm not necessarily looking to be completely estranged. You know, so I just, I always want to say like, it's not a should because I sometimes get this reaction of, okay, so you're like, I have to forgive no matter what terrible, like you don't have to do anything. It's totally up to you. I want people to know that there is an option mm -hmm. that you can actually have boundaries, have clarity around what kind of a relationship you want to have without all of that emotional suffering if you don't want to have it, right? To your point, we don't want to feel bad and you do have to feel some negative human emotion because we're humans, but there are places where we prolong our own suffering with that kind of resistance to how other people are. And we all feel that we need to have the autonomy to have all of our beliefs, which we believe are correct. But then we really think that other people should not be able to have the autonomy to have their beliefs because we think those are wrong. 
I'm all about leveling up with my lowlifers this year. As a fashion stylist, the first place I want to start, of course, is leveling up your closet. But I don't want you to break the bank. You don't got to spend a lot of money, honey. Design on a dime, boo. You can still elevate your closet on a budget. We want you to save some money here. So I'm happy to have Quince as a sponsor. They are here for us. They're going to take good care of us. At Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces at affordable prices. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Oh, they're amazing. I bought these beautiful silk pillowcases for my bed. I got a cute jacket, a cozy cashmere cardigan, and navy blue joggers I'm obsessed with. These are staple pieces for my closet that will not go out of style, and I was able to save some money. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash lowlife for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash lowlife to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash lowlife. Is your New Year's resolution to find time-saving solutions so you can spend less time doing things like grocery shopping and more time with your little one? As a busy parent, I'm always looking for products and brands that will make my life easier. What is one change that's easy to make that will make your life easier in 2024? Little Spoon. Little Spoon delivers fresh, healthy meals and snacks that your kiddo will love for every eating stage. Little Spoon is a one-stop shop for healthy, easy mealtime and snack time for your baby, toddler, and big kid delivered right to your door. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Time-saving and convenient without compromise. Little Spoon delivers baby blends, biteables, plates, smoothies, snacks, and lunchers. Kids love it, and you will too. It's all so fresh, so delicious, and made with the cleanest, high-quality ingredients. Did I mention it all comes right to my door? So flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. I pick the menu and change it up what I order every time. The price is right, the quality is unmatched. I love it, my kids love it, the grandparents love it, and I know all you lowlifers will love it too. A huge win-win-win for my family, and it can also be for yours. Simplify your kiddo's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash lowlife and enter our code lowlife at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. You talk a lot about being so critical of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and I love this because I struggle with it and I want to dive into a little bit of that with you because I know it runs so much deeper and you have mm-hmm. a lot of thoughts on this, but I am very critical of myself. I know people are listening to this right now. They're going through it. So dealing with something like that when you're just so hard on yourself and I know that, to your point, are you diving into this in your new book? Yeah. I talk about kind of how to create your own self-worth. That's the other side of that people pleasing is like we want validation from other people because our thoughts about ourselves are so bad. Right. But our thoughts are so bad about ourselves. I mean, the things I say to myself, I would never, ever say to another human. You know, but I'm like, why am I allowing myself to say that to me? It's so hurtful. And so I know that it runs deeper. And I want to ask you some of it's environmental, some of it's the way we were raised. But with you, your thoughts on that, on beating yourself and being so critical, Mm -hmm. not only of ourselves, but others, specifically women struggle with that more than I think men do at times. Yeah, because they're socialized, I think, with more ways they're supposed to be and more of a kind of like, this is how you do it right. I think one of the things people don't get about self-criticism that can make it easier to deal with is your brain is trying to help you. It's just doing a really bad job, 
right? Yeah. It's like having a like untrained puppy that is going to like eat the drapes and eat your shoes and poop on the floor. So when our brain is criticizing us, we can feel very adversarial towards it. And the problem with that is that your you know nervous system responds to your thoughts. And so if you are basically kind of feeling adversarial with yourself and feeling like, oh, I'm so hard on myself. Like, why am I so mean and terrible with myself? Which is also a way of criticizing myself for being critical of myself. You're like activating yourself, right? You're kind of bringing up a lot of stress and negative emotion, which makes it very hard to actually think clearly. So if you can sort of see like the first switch is just even before you get to the self-critical thoughts, just changing your relationship to them happening, right? It doesn't, we all do this, but like, it doesn't make sense to beat yourself up for beating yourself up. That's just, you're doing more of the same thing, right? Yeah. So if you can see that your brain, like those of us who have that, we learn that somewhere. Like you said, if you grow up in a critical household and there was a lot of criticism, your brain learned. That's what you do if you love someone, you're trying to take care of them is you criticize them and try to make them better, quote unquote, right? So if your brain is doing that, it's because it was trained to do that. It thinks that it's being helpful, right? That's why it's so common in perfectionists. Your subconscious program was, I need to be perfect in order to be accepted and loved and not left on the side of the road to die. So your brain is like, okay, got it. I'm going to scan yeah. for any imperfection all the time. And I'm going to send you multiple emails a day about them all the time so that you know, like your brain is trying to help you. When you can see it that way, everything comes down a notch first. It's just like, okay. Me and my brain, we have the same goal. It's just like I'm trying to do a group project with a toddler and it's not working that well. As opposed <laughs> to like, oh, there's a demon in my brain that I can't get out, which is a very stressful way of thinking about it. And then if you're going to actually start working on those thought patterns, the thing that I teach and that I believe in really strongly that I think is different from a lot of self-help or positive thinking is that most positive thinking, quote unquote, is pretty much bullshit, especially if you're new to it. It doesn't work. Why do you say and that? Because most people, what happens when they try to think positive is they are trying to think something too far from what they believe. So they try, I'll give you an example in a minute, but they try to think something, they don't believe it. They get no emotional payoff, nothing changes in their body. And then they just give up or they think they're doing it wrong and they beat themselves up for that. Right. So, and a good example would be like when I started doing body image work, if you hate your body and you think your stomach is disgusting, thinking to yourself, everybody's beautiful is not, it's just like not related to what you're experiencing. You don't believe it at all. So you are not getting any emotional payoff. You're like, this is the worst art I've ever made. And your friend is like, that is the best art. It's like Picasso. You're like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. right? but it's, it's, you don't believe them. Cause you're like, that's ridiculous. Whereas if your friend said to you like, listen, I see why you say that. Yeah. Maybe that part isn't as good, but I really like the color blue that you did here. You'd be like, okay, I can believe that. Yeah, okay, that was a good color blue. I call it like the 10% less shitty thought. That's really what you're looking for. <laughs> oh, I love that. The 10% less yeah. shitty so thought. Yeah, so if your thought is like, oh, my stomach is so disgusting, going to I'm a beautiful goddess is too far. But you can practice something like, this is a human stomach. Or like, my stomach's job is to digest my food, and it does that. <laughs> or like, many humans have a stomach that looks like this. You're not trying to convince yourself too far. You can build on that over time. But the problem with positive thinking is what the way that's often taught is it's like very American. It's like, get rich quick. Just jump to the you know most positive thing. And it's like not realistic. That'd be like, nobody says to you, oh, you want to run a marathon? You've never gone for a run before? No problem, buddy. Just get, just sign up tomorrow and run 26 miles. You would die. You would fall down. Yeah. So you can't do that with your thoughts either. You don't walk into the gym and be like, I've never worked out. I want to deadlift 400 pounds. Let's go. You're going to break your back. But that's what people try to do with cognitive and emotional work. Yeah. So 
you really got to start small. If you go to the gym to work out, they're like, okay, well, let's pick up this 10 pounds and see how your form is. And then we're going to build our way up. Same thing. You got to start with a really neutral thought. I have an episode on my podcast called The Thought Ladder. It goes into a kind of breakdown of how to do this. But a good rule of thumb is that your new thought should not, it would not look good as a Pinterest graphic. Like it's not inspirational. It would not be good on Instagram. Nobody would put it over a picture of a rainbow and paint it. <laughs> yeah. Jay Shetty's not going to post that shit. Yeah, exactly. It should be like, this is a human stomach does not get shared on Oprah's yeah. account. It should be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I like that. It's a, a bit of a more realist approach to it. Right. And you, the amazing thing is you can change your life so much with those thoughts, but we all want it to be like perfect immediately because we're all perfectionists who have this problem. So we, and all we want instant go, gratification. Yeah, we all want to go all the way. But I mean, I've changed every area of my life doing this. Humans in general, you know, there's psychological studies on this, like overestimate what they can do in a short amount of time and underestimate what they can do in a long amount of time, which is why we all have a one day to-do list that's insane. It's actually like seven days of work. There's no way we're getting it done in one day. But people really underestimate how much they could do if they worked on something a little bit every day for a year or two years or three years, right? So you have to account for that psychological bias and build up little bit by little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. There was something that you talked about before, and this was new for me. And I've done a lot of research on love and, and staying in relationships and the number one deal breakers and what keeps people together and what breaks them mm -hmm. apart and stuff. And there's an expression that I do love. It's when I love someone so much, I love you so hard. I fucking love you so hard. And you talked about loving someone lightly. I was mm. like, what is she talking about? What is this loving lightly nonsense? It's not nonsense. There's a lot to it. It's actually very interesting to me. And so when I was, you posted about it on Instagram as well, but you were saying the difference. I want to ask you what the difference between loving mm. lightly and loving someone hard is. But I know you mentioned when you believe our happiness is dependent on something outside of us, that is a recipe for attachment, control, and fear. You'd posted that on Instagram. Yeah. And so I want to talk to you about that because I found it really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, and of course, loving someone hard in the way you're talking about, where you're like, I just love you so much. I love you so hard is awesome. What I'm talking about when I say like loving hard versus loving lightly, and I use hard to mean more like we make it hard for ourselves. When we love someone hard, I use that to mean when we believe that somebody has to be in a certain kind of relationship with us, be a certain way, treat us a certain way or whatever for us to be able to be happy, right? So we'll say like, oh, I love you so much. I'd be so unhappy without you. That's not actually about the person. That's about you and your feelings. You're sort of wanting that person to be this like delivery system for positive emotion to you, right? And when you love someone that way, it's loving them hard in the sense that you're kind of grippy about it. You're like very afraid of losing it and you give it all this power over you and you, you sort of treat the person, at, it's like a drug almost. It's like you treat the person as like your dealer. You know, they're like the dealer of all these good feelings for yeah, you. Yeah, and you need your junkie fix. Yeah, and we're taught to do that. We're taught that other people make us happy and other people cause our feelings and that's what falling in love is. I mean, there's so much toxic kind of love messaging, you know, that like when you fall in love, then like, if you can't be with the person, then you die, which is like, no, that's very unhealthy. You should be able to, like, <laughs> you should be able to survive. I mean, it sucks, obviously, if someone you love breaks up with you or dies, but it should not mean that you can't actually go on living. Loving someone lightly means that you are actually loving them, which really has nothing to do with whether they are willing to still be your boyfriend, <laughs> like willing to show up a certain way in the relationship or live on the same continent, whatever it is, right? It's really, if you are loving someone just for themselves, 
it's like I loved my cat, even though he did fucking nothing for our relationship and, you know, <laughs> yeah. did like, we don't love pets in yeah. the same way. He just did whatever he wanted. Like if I wanted to cuddle him, he didn't. He was like, bye. Right. I didn't, the, my love for him was not dependent on him delivering all these feel good hormones to me, you know, in the same way. It wasn't dependent on him acting a certain way. So that's what I really mean. And I think we use the word love to refer to a real range of things some of which are not about the person at all. And I actually just did a podcast called Loving Versus Being Loved because I've been like working on this at a deeper level in my relationship that my partner has this very blissful experience of being in love with me most of the time. I mean, I'm a handful, but like he's pretty blissed out a lot of the time because his thoughts are really just about me. He just thinks I'm awesome. So he feels great because that's actually just like a pretty freer love. Not that he doesn't have his own shit, but whereas because of the way I was socialized and women are socialized to believe that their romantic partners are supposed to validate their existence and make them feel good enough. So my experience of the relationship, I've had to do a lot of unpacking of that, but my brain keeps being like, well, I don't feel blissful yet. He must be doing something wrong. Let's see what it could be. Oh, interesting. Because I'm not really thinking just about how great he is as a human. I'm focused on, well, I was told that having this kind of romantic relationship or being engaged or getting married or whatever was supposed to make me feel a certain way because that's supposed to be the pinnacle of success for a woman, no matter what else she's done in her life, right? All that deep socialization. And so I see that really clearly, that difference between how we approach it. And it's a perfect example. He's loving lightly because he just, I mean, he'd be obviously very sad if we broke up, but his thoughts are mostly just like, oh, she's cool. I like her, how lucky I get to be with her. And my thoughts are like, well, I'm supposed to feel a certain way. What does he have to do differently? What It's like, no, they're not, we're not doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm working on this, obviously. Yeah, I'm work not in like, progress. <laughs> yeah, work in progress. Yeah, loving someone lightly is a beautiful thing, though. I, I love that. Right. And yeah. you can love someone even if, like, it's so weird that we're like, I'm only allowed to love you if you'll promise to stay in this relationship with me and have it be exactly the same forever, or if you'll only, you'll do what I want, right? You can love somebody and they can break up with you. You can break up with them. You can love somebody and never speak to them again. Love is an emotion in your body. What you decide to do action-wise or what they do, totally different question. But the idea that your love for someone is dependent on like them deserving it or how they act or all of this, I call it loving hard because it makes your life hard. It's very emotionally hard. It's like a roller coaster. Yeah. It's very taxing on it. And I think there's a lot of expectations that come with that. Right. Oh, got to let go of that shit. Okay. Here at the Low Life Podcast. Off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) Here at the podcast, Queen, we love to do a round of rapid fire questions. All right, let's jump into a round of rapid fire questions. First one up, here we go. Cottage on the beach or a cabin in the woods? Cabin in the woods. I don't like the sun. <laughs> what? You I don't, don't like, like being sun? hot and I don't like the sand. I don't mind the sun in general. I know it's good for the world to keep going, but I don't like, <laughs> I need a lot of sunscreen. I'm very pale. I don't like to be too hot. Yeah. Okay. Regulated temperature, a forest with a little bit of light coming through. Yeah. A, a bougie cabin, but a cabin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who is your celebrity crush right now? Male, female, it doesn't matter. Oh, I've been watching that TV show, The Bear. The Bear. And the guy who plays the chef. It's some good stuff. <laughs> is he a bear? No, I would say, he, well, no, probably more of like an otter maybe, but. I love that you said that. I'm an otter right now with this facial hair. I'm rocking otter Yeah, life. he is clean shaven, but he's kind of on the, a little bit on the smaller wiry side. Got it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a bear, but it's a good show. He's pretty hot. <laughs> If your belly button had a magical power when you press it, any power when you press your belly button, what magical power? What would you make your belly button do? Oh, my God. It would, like, make everything around me go silent. Oh, 
silence. I'm very overwhelmed by too much noise. I have like a little sensory thing with too much noise and living with two small children. If I could just press a button and everybody was on mute, that would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, especially in New York. That is bad. Yeah. That's what noise canceller. Uh Uh, What is your last meal on death row? And I want specifics, not just like a burger. Not I, pasta. No, yeah, no. What is I want it. I like to break it down. <laughs> That's such a good question. I think it would be like a pappardelle or a tagliatelle with like a really good ragu, like a lamb ragu, be like beautiful Parmesan cheese. There would be like some very bitter greens. And then there'd have to be some like a fresh strawberry shortcake. Ooh, I love strawberry. Oh my God. Right now it's strawberry season. It's my favorite. Delicious. When are you most inspired? When I'm in a really good flow of coaching and like a new metaphor has come to me or there's something clicking in my in my client, that's like I get into the zone. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Uh, what movie is a mood changer for you? This is a movie you've seen more than once. The type of movie that you could quote, but I'm not going to ask you to quote it. I actually don't have one of those. I've rarely watched a movie more than once. In my defense, I have aphantasia, which means I can't see images in my mind. So I don't record visual images, like visual what? memories, really. Yeah, it's a whole that thing. That so, is so cool. I didn't know that was even a thing. It is a thing. It's why I'm so hyperverbal. So since I don't have visual memories, especially something like a movie, is kind of like in the eyes and gone. Like I really don't. <laughs> I'm not even sure I could like name the movies I've seen. That is cool. So but maybe a book, you would do it with a book or something. Yeah, a oh. book I could do it with for sure. The book I would do it with, I, you know, I would go old school. I think I'm a big fan of Jane Austen's Persuasion. I also I have read Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go more than once. And Anne Lamott, Bird by Bird, for a nonfiction. There's definitely, yeah, I definitely read books, would return to books or have emotional attachment to books more than movies. Yeah, and I'm going to be linking those books in the episode as oh, well as you yours, right. too. What is the last TV show you binge-watched? The Bear. The Bear. As I've mm-hmm. been watching. Top two songs on your playlist right now. I have been listening to this musician named Ian No who I'd never heard of, but the gods of the Apple algorithm sent him to me. Oh, nice. And so I've been listening to him, and uh, he has a song called Irene that I really like. Old Irene Like a raven bomb She's cutting every rug And killing every joke She comes up home And then I have also been listening a lot to this folk singer, Margot Silker, and she has a song called That River that I really like. What is something that people commonly get wrong about you? How to pronounce my name and how tall I am. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> so is it Kara? Did I say no, it wrong? No, it's Kara. Kara? It's Kara Lowenthal, and people say Kara Lowenthal. Mm. And then people think that I'm tall just because I have a lot of personality, but I'm actually 5'2". And people think I'm extroverted because I can be dynamic when I'm teaching, but actually I am, would like to be left alone most of the oh, time. Oh, you're a recluse. Joan Didion called herself a gregarious recluse, and I've always really identified with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you die and come back to this world, let's say you believe in reincarnation. What animal would you choose to come back to this beautiful world as? Maybe a seal. Oh, how cute is that? (laughs) Yeah. It just seems like being like nicely blubbered in a cold water would be very refreshing existence. And you would just like catch little fish and eat them. Seems good. 
Wow. Yeah, I love that answer. But also, I'm just like, oh, damn, because my number one animal, obsessed, and my reincarnation, I'm coming back as an orca. And so uh, I hope we don't Well, orcas cross. are big these days. What would the whole yacht takedown situation? Oh, that's so. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're killing it, literally. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Queen. This was a great conversation. I appreciate that you took the time to talk to me and the listeners. Where can people find you on social media? Also, your book is coming out. Thank you for having me. It was delightful. Uh, People can find me at unfuckyourbrain.com. The book comes out May 2024. And my podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And my social media is all at Cara Lowenthal, which is hard to spell. So just go to Unfuck Your Brain and then you'll find everything there. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Low Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm having the best time with this podcast. I love the show. I love the community of kings and queens that we have. It started with like five people and it's grown to thousands of people that are tuning in every single week. There's a lot of love, effort, time, energy, so much effort that I put into each and every single episode. It's really important that this show isn't just some fluff piece. It isn't a waste of your time. Time is the most valuable thing that we have on this planet, and I don't want to waste it. And so I want the show to be something that you could get something from every episode, whether that be a new opinion, a new perspective, a life lesson, a laugh, a smile to take into a really difficult week conversation points for your dinner talk, that sort of a thing. Like there needs to be a takeaway every episode. That is so important to me, but I wouldn't be able to do this show without you, the listener. This show would be literally nothing without you, the listener. So thank you so much for tuning in every single week, supporting it, leaving comments on Apple reviews, giving me feedback. I love hearing from you. It's everything to me. Hearing from you, the listener, is my favorite thing about this show, truly. Besides getting to interview incredible people and thought leaders and have great conversations, it's the listeners that are really doing it for me because I have people from all different walks of life all different types of stories that you guys have. And you open up and you share with me just like I'm sharing with you. And I end up learning so much. Like the mommy shaming stories that I was asking for back in May, I was like, holy shit, people are really going through it. A lot of people have been mommy shamed. This week, my question of the week is about bachelorette parties. Have you been in a bachelorette party? Are you going to have one? What is it like if you've been in one? Was it a great experience? a shitty experience. How did you handle the whole paying for everything? Did the bride cover a lot of it? Do the bridesmaids pitch in for everything? Like, how does that all break down? Because it could be a little dicey and it could end up hurting relationships. (laughs) So I would love to hear your bachelorette party stories. Spill some tea in the review section of Apple Podcasts. I want to hear your bachelorette stories, your maid of honor stories. One of my girlfriends was telling me that she had a maid of honor They were so close, best friends, and things just went awry. She just wasn't showing up in the right way for this bride. She was not happy with her. And then she ended up removing her from the wedding. And I was like, damn, cutthroat. And then she replaced her with another friend. I was like, damn, that's harsh. But she informed me that that happens more often than people talk about. And so has that ever happened to you? Just curious. Would love to know. 
please let me know in the review section of Apple Podcasts and give this podcast five stars. It really helps with the show. That's the way that you can help keep this little shit show afloat. That's the number one way to help. Besides using the sponsors, of course, that's a game changer on the financial side. That keeps the show afloat financially. But the way to keep this show growing, which is the most important thing, is by leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews, the better for the podcast. That goes for any podcast. If you are enjoying a podcast, let them know in the review section of Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying it, you could let them know that too. <laughs> I want to show my gratitude and give thanks, my appreciation to my lowlifers by keeping the lowlife gifting suite open. We've got hyaluronic serums, shit you didn't know you need on Amazon, my favorite SPF from Goop, gift cards to Target, gas cards, because gas is still crazy expensive, mud masks, movie tickets. And so if you want a chance to win a little something, something, all you have to do is leave a review in the review section of Apple Podcasts. Oh, and make sure you put your Instagram handle somewhere in the review section so then I can find you on Instagram, slide into your DMs and send you a little something, something. And who doesn't love free shit? Who doesn't love a free gift once in a while? And these reviews could be anything you want them to be. You could leave a little dick emoji, throw a few salsa dancers, a few unicorns my way, or you could actually write something or answer this week's question of the week about bachelorette parties. All of it is welcomed. All of it is so appreciated. And I read each and every single review, as does my producer. We go through, we read them all. They mean so much and they truly make a difference. It's a small gesture that really makes a big difference. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. I want to shout out some lowlifers who took the time to leave a review. These are the backbone of this podcast. First one up is coming in hot from at MSU Alumni 2013. MSU Alumni 2013 writes, five stars. This is a must listen if you're feeling down. Low, you brighten my day every time I listen. He is rainbows and sunshine. I lost my mom and my fur baby of 16 years in 2021. It was the hardest year of my life. Then the Low Life podcast helped me get through the gloomy dark days of depression and loneliness. I'm now much better thanks to therapy, lots of wine, and two new puppies. Congrats on your new pug puppy. I can't wait to follow you along the journey. Thank you for being you and sharing your amazing soul and fun personality with your low life community, sending love and good vibes your way for continued success. Oh, that is a beautiful review. My God, Queen, 2021 must have been one of the most painful years of your entire life. And the fact that you have positivity and kindness and took the time to leave such a beautiful review really means a lot. I can't even fathom what you were going through with that kind of loss, having two major losses within a year. I mean, one alone took me out at the knees. Two, I don't even know if I could have that kind of strength. And so I'm actually very inspired by this message. Thank you for taking the time to write it. If I could play any part of bringing a smile to your face or making you feel a little bit better after having a really tough day and going through it, that makes everything I'm doing completely worth it. So thank you. Thank you so much for that review. It really, really means a lot to me. I want to look up your Instagram handle so I could see your two new puppies. I want to see these little puppies, queen. I love me some dogs. You know, any puppy I get excited for. All right, here we go. Next listener up is at Steph May 320. Steph May. So Stephanie writes, happy birthday, Lo. Happiest cumpleaños to the flaming hot and spicy hot mess express of a host, king of my podcast lineup, Lorenzo Von Rumpf. Thank you for all the laughs, your curiosity, and for being uniquely you. This year is your year, King. She gave me a little unicorn and a little birthday cake. Thank you for that, Queen. 
I actually do feel like this year is going to be a great year for me. Last year was pretty painful. It was a lot. But this year, I already feel much lighter. I have new life that's been brought into my world, literally, with little Shamu, who is just like this little beacon of light in my house. Oh my God, I'm so excited for him. And this podcast, I want to go full throttle with this podcast. There's a lot of things that I want to do for the show. I want to expand it. I want it to grow. It's going to be great. So yes, I do agree with you. This is going to be a great year. We have time for one more review, and this one is coming in hot from at jfraz1951. And I looked her up. Her name is actually Jan, F-R-A-Z-E-E. Is it Fraze? Frazy? Frazy. Jan Fraze. I don't think, no, there's no accent mark. I think it's Jan Frazy. That's what I'm going to go with. Jan Frazy writes, Deborah Silverman is a queen. Five stars. Hi from another 70 plus year old listener. Oh, I love it. Yes, queen. Just proves that you are never too old to learn something new. I love this episode from another non-SPF wearer in Florida. <laughs> what? Is that a thing? People not wearing SPF? What the hell? I always wear SPF. Okay. Jan writes, I'd like to mention that I'm a Sagittarius, but would love if Deborah could confirm. I was born 12-21-51, winter solstice at 4.18 p.m., Thanks, and I look forward to many more enjoyable and exciting episodes. If I win a prize, please no sunscreen. <laughs> Love ya from Jan. Jan, to get your birth chart, Deborah Silverman, I know she's a booked and busy queen, but you can actually access your birth chart with the information that you already have. You just plug it into a website and they will do it for you. That's what I did for mine, actually, because I was like wanting to check Deborah's work. <laughs> it was very accurate, by the way. Deborah is freaking amazing. I got to have her back on. We became friends, by the way. Isn't that wild? Deborah Silverman and I, we ended up having dinner like the next night. She flew to LA, had dinner, got along great, and we've been talking ever since. I just love her vibe. She's such a sweetheart. The website that I used to get all my birth chart info, it will break it all down for you. There's many of them out there, but there's one called Cafe Astrology, C-A-F-E Astrology. So if you just go into Google and you type in birth chart calculator, all these different websites will come up. And the first one usually that pops up is Cafe Astrology. There's another one called Astro.Seek, like Astrology Seek. There's another one that's called Chart Calculator, and that will break it down for you. So again, just plug in the time you were born, the location of it, and of course the date, and then you can get your birth chart. I'm glad you guys are enjoying those astrology episodes. If there's anybody else you'd like me to have on, any cool astrologers that you want me to have on or psychics, let me know. Any guest suggestions? Who do you want on this podcast? Because I will do my damn best to get them on here. I will blow them up via email. I will DM them. We're pretty good at getting who we want on this show now, especially because we have listeners. So it's worth people coming on for. <laughs> it's worth coming on as a guest because we actually have a great listenership now. So that's awesome. So yeah, if there's anybody that you really want on the show, whether it be a comedian or someone that you just enjoy following on Instagram, again, please drop your suggestions in the review section of Apple Podcasts. I would appreciate that so much helping me with the show. And on that note, I hope you have a beautiful weekend ahead. We're in July. I'm celebrating my dad's birthday this weekend, actually, July 15th. So feliz cumpleaños to all of my fellow cancer crabs out there. We are still in the thick of cancer season and I love it. I hope you have a magical weekend. Go out, have yourself a delicious margarita with some tahini around the rim, maybe a delicious cold glass of rosé. Put a little slice jalapeno in there to make it a little spicy spice. Go see the new Barbie movie because I have been overwhelmed by the promotion and ads for Barbie. I'm like, holy shit, we get it. Barbie movie is coming out. Damn, like every 
page I look at, everything I click, even my ranch dressing at a fucking restaurant was like pink ranch for Barbie. I was like, enough with the Barbie. But maybe go see that this weekend. I think it comes out on Saturday or Sunday. Go enjoy a nice movie. Take an edible. Maybe do some shrooms. Masturbate. Live your best life, boo. But don't forget to drink your water, puta. We, we love, love you, you, and we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>